Honestly, I'm a little obsessed right now with building my big new garden bed. I'm all by myself while my husband is away for two weeks on business, and I have seven yards of triple mix in my backyard driveway and two yards of mulch. And I have a little gardening cart to get it all to the big 16 by 26 foot sort of triangular bed. I'm Shauna Doby, editor of Canada's local gardener magazine, and this is Flora and Fauna. This week I spoke with Ian Leet, who is the same Ian Leet I mention at the end of every show as the president of our company. He's been a gardener for many years, and you'll find out more about that during the next bit. He's an old-fashioned sort of gardener who laughs at the reading that I've done about newfangled methods, and I'll admit he has me doubting everything I'm doing. Before you hear from him, let me just say, feel free to contact me about anything on the show. You can find us at Flora Fauna CLG Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And now, on with the show. Ian, first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. Okay, I'm a former Brit, now Canadian, mm-hmm. to say. In my past life, I was a chef. I had a landscape company. I was a marketing director for a dairy. Then I was a HR trainer to diploma level. Then I came to Canada. Mm-hmm. But in the heart of it, I've always been a gardener. And you're from originally from Jersey. Yeah, a little island off the coast of France, about 14 miles. So I've never actually asked you about yourself before, but you are the fellow who I'm talking about every time I say, let's go to Ian at headquarters to see what's up. I am indeed, yes. Ten neat things. And so today we're going to talk about how to build a garden because I'm doing that for the first time. Not for the first time. I've done it before, but it was very small, the gardens that I've built before. And now it occurred to me that the garden I'm building is roughly the size of my old, the main floor of my old house. That's great. It's 16 by 26 feet. Okay. So when I was, let's see, when I was very young, my father, one of his beautiful attributes was vegetable gardens. Okay. So we had cold frames and the cold frames would have been from memory 10 by 10 foot by 30 foot. And they had, a cold frame is like a ground level greenhouse, right? Mm-hmm. And you could run the glass up and down, let it air and whatever. That was just the cold frame. Then the compost pit would have been eight foot by four foot and maybe six feet high. And, and my grandmother was constantly throwing eggshells and all sorts of crap in there. And then the actual vegetable patch, it's probably bigger than most allotments. I guess from memory, it would have been maybe 30 feet by 90. Oh, my gosh. And it was all like we had fresh vegetables every single day of the year, Mm -hmm. right through the winter, because we don't get that cold there, right through the winter. So you'd have, you go out, pick Brussels sprouts or cabbage or whatever. When I say spring cabbage, you'd have cabbage grown young and it comes up, it's like a tulip the spring mm-hmm. cabbage, and they would be ready March. You'd be digging potatoes in February, March, fresh potatoes from the garden. Yeah, it's a different world. The worst time of year for me was January. I hated January, not mm-hmm. because it was cold. Are you sure you got wet? But that was when the sea, the ocean, well, it was the English Channel, would gift us with seaweed and rack. Now, 
it's very heavy, it's very wet, and my father had a tractor and a big trailer, and we would go down to the beach and load up the trailer, and we're saying, I'm going to say maybe as high as eight feet high. The smell was ridiculous. And the trailer would, how much would it take? I guess if we talk about yards of soil, probably three trips of 10 yards, and then you'd have to spread all that over the vegetable garden and then wait two weeks for it to dry and then dig it in two spades deep. That was the rule, two Mm -hmm. spades deep always. So you can imagine all of that nutrient from the garden was great, right? So my grandmother's filling up the compost. We had two of them all year long. You'd be turning that in on top of the seaweed. You didn't need to go and buy fertilizer because it was really fertile land and everything grew. Wow. Okay, so you probably don't feel sorry for me then because about a week ago, a week and two days, I had seven yards of topsoil delivered, not topsoil. It was a four-time mix. Oh, Mm -hmm. a four-time mix. No, a five-way. You're right. It's a five-way mix. Okay. Of peat moss and uh, and of course it's I twenty to thirty percent compost. (laughs) So they delivered this about nine days ago. My husband left about 10 days ago. It's not a wheelbarrow. It's a garden cart with four wheels. And I'm so glad that we got this because I was saying, no, we need a wheelbarrow. We need a wheelbarrow because that's what my father would have used. No, I can barely, it takes some real effort to get the cart with the four wheels to start moving. (laughs) And I have to get it to the garden and I have to pull a lever on the back and dump it out. It's a lot. But in a wheelbarrow, you would put it all at the front. So all the weight mm-hmm. is at the front, making it light. Really? Yeah. You could put 300 weight in a wheelbarrow. And at my place, you could put 300 weight of soil in. If it's all at the front, you can just pick it up. It's as light as a feather. Really? Okay. Yeah. You've got to push it. It's got to weight, but if you balance okay. it properly. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I have been doing this every evening for quite some time. A couple of nights ago, my back... Lane neighbor came and helped me. He was so sweet. About seven or eight different wheelbarrow loads. He had a wheelbarrow of soil. And I am now officially just over halfway through the soil. Wow. And you used to do you used to do 10 or 30 yards or something of seaweed. Seaweed. Yeah. Just with a fork, no wheelbarrow. No wheelbarrow. No, just with a fork. You would take the trailer as close as you could and then you'd have to carry it all the way the rest. All by hand. Yeah, I suffered when I was young. I guess you did. Blisters in my hands, it was so sad. On the other hand, you I don't want to get sexist here or anything, but you are a male, and males do build muscle a lot better than females do. And I am... to think is, I was seven years old. I am 55. Seven's a bit different. I was a little boy. Okay. But I had to learn, right? So that was the way I learned. I learn everything by doing. Right. Now, since you've come here, there is no seaweed because we're in Winnipeg. There is if you buy Mr. Tomatoes. Okay. You could buy Mr. Tomatoes or Tomatoes seaweed. But otherwise... See magic. See magic. Which comes in a little envelope and not on a big trailer. But it actually produces 240 liquid liters of fertilizer in a little packet. That's huge. That's a lot of liquid fertilizer. It's a lot of water, but... So I have a rain barrel that I Mm -hmm. use, 
I have two two-liter bottles of Coke with concentrated sea magic in it. What you do is empty bottles, right? Then you put half the packet into one bottle, half the packet into the other. You put in warm water, let it cool down before you put the lid on or it'll explode. Give it a good shake. And then, and then you have four concentrated liters. And then it's like, I don't know, half a cup to four liters. What is in the seaweed? What kind of nutrients are in the seaweed? Everything. You can't Everything. just say. You're asking you... me a really technical question that I have no idea, but I can find out for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you don't know. I don't, I, all I know is that in my memory says seaweed is very good fertilizer. So I've looked into sea magic and other kinds of seaweed plant stimulants. They are not a fertilizer. They don't add much in the way of nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium to the soil. It's considered a biostimulant. Biostimulants help plants grow in some other way. Seaweeds have been used for over 5,000 years. If you live in the Maritimes, you probably use them. Sea magic is from, let me see if I can say this, Ascophyllum nodosum. A review of the scientific literature on this kind of kelp suggests that it has positive effects on growth and fruit quality, phenolic and antioxidant content, post-harvest storage and quality. Overall, it seems to be a pretty good product. Since you've come here and you have the seaweed now, you've built several garden beds, haven't you? Yes. Now, I've done this by trying to lay out newsprint first on the ground, over the grass, which is a ridiculous thing to do by yourself because... you wet it when you put it down? I wet it after I put it down. To put it down and to keep it in place until I could wet it, I put a little bit of soil over it because that's something I had. And then I'd wet it and overnight it would dry up. And blow away. (laughs) Because I can't do this all in one shot because Mm -hmm. I have a job and I'm just, how did you do it? I was going to do the lasagna method. I am more than halfway done my garden now. How did you do it? I just lined it and then turned the soil. Yeah. I got a rope line, which I think you had a rope line to have an idea where you were going to do things. I had an old hose that I put there. Yeah, like a line, right? So I And then I turned the soil because... No, I've got to think about this. Where I have built certain beds at different houses, I had a big perennial garden underneath a white pine tree. So the white pine, you can imagine, there was needles everywhere, right? And that's not good. You had to dig them up or or get them up. So I raked up an awful lot of them. And then in there, I think I put probably 20 yards of a topsoil compost mix. I didn't need to do anything to the soil because it was just weed, right? So I put tilled it and then went from there, got the most of the, the bulk root out. And then I, I used railway line. So that was my edge. And then I just kept filling and filling. But it, again, it's about where it is, right? So you, you've got a garden where you, I think about your garden. It gets quite a bit of sun. It is south facing, but there's a house on either side. So I guess it gets about six to eight hours a day in the summer. Yeah. So where I've done a lot of my gardening, it's been in the shade. Mm-hmm. So I've built beds under trees. And I had a one garden where the lilac must have been 60 years old. It was huge, but it looked beautiful, right? When it's flowering and you get that massive lilac aroma in the May-June time. I built a massive flower bed underneath there. And just I used to put in a lot of marigolds there simply to keep the rabbits away. But that's another story because he would come along and bite the heads off all of them. We'll get to the rabbits. Okay, oh, yeah. First, I want to ask, with the pine needles, why do you need to dig up the pine needles? Couldn't you well, just I didn't dig them up. up. There's a lot of acid in them. Yeah, but couldn't I... you just plant acid-loving plants there? No, I didn't want to. Okay. I didn't want to do that. I wanted 
certain plants. I can't even remember what I had in there. I had small shrubs in there. It was quite a big area. The area would have been under the pine was maybe 26 by 40. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of, that's a lot of room. Yeah, but it was all shade. It was underneath a big white pine. As you looked at it, on one side, I put a six foot fence. The back of it, my neighbor had a chain link fence because she wanted to see the garden. And onto the left of it was a garage. Mm -hmm. And then you had this tree and it was just a mess. And I hated it. So Mm -hmm. I thought, I'm going to build a, I'm going to build a shade garden. So I built a shade garden and there was hostas in there. There was all sorts of things in there, actually. And everything ballooned. It was great. They loved it. I loved it. And then I moved and I started all over again. (laughs) But the interesting Mm -hmm. thing about moving, I dug up all the plants that I put in. I've heard of a lot of people doing that. Plants are not cheap. They're really not cheap. I, I don't care what anybody says. When you buy a hosta for... $25 $25 and it's one root, and then you dig one up and it's 45 roots, you think to yourself, there's a lot of value in this, and you can split it, quarter it, and now you've got four of them. And you're not paying anything. You've only had that one initial payment. But a lot of people don't do that. They just put it there and forget about it. I tend to split a lot. So now in the garden, it's like peonies. You know, In the garden that we have now, I think we've got about 24 peonies. Wow. Oh, yeah. We've got about 30 hostas. Mm-hmm. I'm on a good time. And the raspberries, you're going to love the raspberries. This is the third year, so we <laughs> should be getting fruit. That's good. How many beds do you have where you are? I've got three bedrooms. No, how many flower beds? Our flower beds, we have Plant one. beds. Okay. Plant beds. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Okay. Beds. Individual beds. And you built, how many of them did you build? All of them. All of them? There was nothing there when you started? Nothing. Okay. Oh, and that's without the veggie pot. I do have a veggie pot. Yeah, I have a veggie pot too. It's loaded. Uh, Is your veggie pot ready to go already? It's got in there, there are two types of lettuce that are maybe an inch high and 60 shallots. 60 what? Shallots. Shallots. I like them. Very nice to cook with. I should really put some lettuce in my veggie pod, but so far it's just got, still in the red solo cups, it's got tomatoes in it. Oh, so you just... Because it's too early to put the tomatoes out in Winnipeg. And now I'm regretting that I didn't put my cucurbits in because as you can see behind me, yeah, they're way too big and they can't go out until after the last frost either. I looked at the weather. I would chance them. I would chance the tomatoes too, but... Where I put my vegetables, it gets from sun up to 4.30, and it's blazing. For all of you folks out there listening from other parts of the country, the average last frost date in Winnipeg is May 25th, and you can't count on it until May 31st. The weather changes from day to day, so I don't think it matters that next week is forecast to be frost-free. Still, my office is being overtaken by cucumbers. It's a smaller area. You know what I'm talking about, right? By the fence. Okay. I have those two things, relishes, where I grow the cucumbers and the melons and that. Mm-hmm. That, that whole area there, it, it burns up. It's probably 28 degrees there right now. Wow. No, it gets really hot though. It's a good place if you want to go on a diet. Start doing some yoga there. You're just <laughs> hot yoga. Yashtanga. Hot yoga, yashtanga, right? Yeah. Okay. So how did you build these 11? Did you do it the same for all of them? Did you just turn over the sod and pile a bunch of 
Actually, until the initial year, I was moving a lot of plants. So there were borders in, there were two borders and a circular area for roses, but there was nothing there, right? I guess in the June, I did notice a couple of hostas and I thought I'm going to have to wait a year to see what comes up before I do anything crazy. So I just carried on bringing my stuff, digging up and planting the stuff that I was transferring from the other garden. And come the end of the year, I did what, I don't know if a lot of people do this or not. I raked all the leaves up. Oh, that's a bad thing. Rake up the leaves. Don't do that. Then I passed a lawnmower over it mm-hmm. and I mulched it tiny. And then when the, the hostas and that were all going nine nights, I completely covered it with all the mulch. Typically, if I rake up the leaves at the end of the fall, I have about 40 bags of leaves mm-hmm. just in the back garden. That particular year, I didn't have any. I had to raise up an area of soil where it was very low. So I spread a lot of leaves there, but mulched leaves. Then I built three boxes for herbs and rhubarb. They get quite a lot of sun. In fact, that's full of herbs right now. The herbs are having a good time. Mm-hmm. And I filled all the boxes with leaves. So I started with wet paper and leaves that particular time, and then I put a lot of compost on it and just let it drop. So the next year after the snow, it had dropped maybe a foot and a half. So then I did the same again. You do your spring cleanup, and there was a lot of crap. That got thrown into the box, and then I started putting potting soil and compost in there and, and good soil to grow veggies and stuff. So a little, it's a little different. Another area was basically, uh, what do you call it, river stone. So I had to get rid of all the river stone, and then there oh. was landscape cloth, and I had to get rid of the landscape cloth, and then underneath it was gumbo. I had a good time. My back hurt. Dug it all out, got rid of it all, and then started again. I did the same sort of thing with the leaves. Leaves that make a great compost of mulch. Like I'm, I'm always doing that and turning them in. I've got to ask you. Why did you dig up the gumbo? Because it's horrible. But why didn't you just add improvements on top? No, no, I couldn't. It it was like literally like digging up a a pebble path. You you couldn't. Like I I went down a foot and a half, and it was a spade deep of gumbo. Mm -hmm. There's no mixing or softening. You can put clay buster in, but wouldn't made a lot of difference. And when I I put in uh, the sign at the front of the house, four inches underneath the grass is gumbo. So do you mean just like clay? No, cement. It's gray, dark gray. You've not seen it? I'll show you some because I've got some here. I dug some up just the other day. Literally is like cement. Until you wet it. No, it's like cement. I think concrete originated in Manitoba. No, seriously, I think it did. Oh, it really did. (laughs) Yeah, no, genuinely. That's what I believe. I I think somebody, I think it was your mother that told me concrete came from here. Just to clarify, my mom can justify that pretty much everything was invented in Manitoba. Have you seen my big fat Greek wedding? Where the father used Windex for everything? That's my mother and Manitoba. Nonetheless, there was a concrete block manufacturing company in Arden, Manitoba that operated in the early 20th century. Here's something from the Manitoba Historical Society. For a few years in the early 20th century, Numerous buildings around southern Manitoba were constructed of a unique locally made material, concrete blocks. Using a machine bought from a mail order catalog, wet concrete, a mixture of cement, gravel, and water, 
was poured into a mold where it would set until hard. The ease with which the blocks could be made at the construction site with limited investment resources, unlike bricks, which typically require a kiln for high-temperature firing, was probably their primary attraction. Now I'm worrying because I have just been relying on everything I've read since starting to work for the magazines, and it all tells me that I can just add stuff on top and it will work yeah, its way down. It depends on what you're growing. It mm-hmm. really does depend. Like, So the front of the house is another border. That used to just be Riverstone. Again, I dug it all out. I lifted the cloth. I dug down through the gumbo. Then I filled it with leaves. Then I put lots and lots and lots of soil in. And then I put in lots of perennials. Like I don't put any annuals. I don't put any annuals in any of the beds. Maybe a sprinkling of marigolds or something. My beds are full of perennials. So I don't really have to worry. Beginning of the year, end of the year is cleaner. And there's a little bit of weeding as the plants come to life. And then they take over. But you've got to find the right plants that grow there. In building my garden, I know I've done everything wrong, but I've got to carry on with it, with what I've started. I built one before, but that was probably about 10 square feet in my front yard in Toronto, and I did it by digging up the sod and putting down a couple of bags of triple mix. The other gardens in Toronto, I didn't have to dig anything. In one case, it was grubs that dug up most of the grass. In another, it was a home renovation. This time, I've put down newsprint first. One or two layers. I know I've recommended six layers before because that's what I've read, but I've put down only two. It would take years of saving newspapers to get six layers worth, and I figured the sun won't shine through two layers and six inches of topsoil plus two inches of mulch. So I should be good, right? Right? We're going to take a quick break now to hear from Ian or somebody at head office. We'll be back. Canada's local gardener just got even better. Flora and Fauna, a new e-digest coming weekly. Go to localgardener.net to find out more information. That's localgardener.net. What do you have to clean up with annuals? In leave the them out. Why? Why would I leave them there? I want to put new ones in the following year. You yeah, think they're going to rot? You, they don't rot you, in a year. No, you just, you the roots do. No, they don't. Yeah. I, I, I put uh, tall grass. I always put tall grass in certain areas, not Carl Forrester. I have Carl Forrester, but I'm talking about the annual grasses just because mm-hmm. I want the height elevation in the winter. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't dislike them in the summer, but I do. But the root on that, it ends up the size of my head. So you got to pull it out. Isn't it? You can't plant on it. It doesn't grow back. Okay. When I was in Toronto, everything I planted stayed there. And in the spring, the annuals, the dried tops of them would be there, and I could just pull them up and throw them out. Or I never dug in anything because it didn't need it, and I would have to replace the mulch but if I dug it in. Pots and borders are different. Did you put a lot? No, of- I'm talking about what, in the garden. What annuals were you putting in the garden? The only thing I can think of right now is sweet alyssum. I did fuchsia one year. That's um, nothing. Like those, that's just not, that's not got a root on it. Think of a grass root. Like it's, uh, I grow grass. I can't plant on top of it. It has to come out. And I don't have that many annuals in borders. I have hanging baskets. I just empty the hanging baskets and give the gas the baskets back to the garden center. Do you do you yeah. reuse the soil from the baskets? Yeah, I put them in. It's end of season, right? So they they'll go into the 
back corner of behind a tree somewhere just to turn into its own little compost. People. But yeah, okay. it all gets thrown back in. I just always threw them onto the garden. Your mum does the same, but my garden's a little bit cleaner than your mother's. Hey, she has a very nice garden. She's got a beautiful garden. Needs some serious weeding, but yeah, she's got a beautiful garden. The I'm woman, a little bit OCD when it comes to weeds. You built the gardens and then you planted them. Are you planning on building more gardens? Tell Shelley, but I am. I won't tell Shelley. Does she <laughs> listen to the show? I don't know. Tell me I, about I'm, the more. I'm, I'm thinking about it huh? right now, and it's the back fence. I'm considering changing it a little bit and adding maybe twice the amount so that the whole back is full of perennials and whatever. I need a lot of stone for that because I have to match the edges, right? I want to do it the same sort of way. So you've put the stones around the borders? Yeah, and those are stones that I found here when I was digging up the garden. They were all on your property? Yeah. There was nothing here. The big deck that I put in, that wasn't that. It was basically two small pines and nothing. But there were stones everywhere. You do vegetable gardening where you are, as well as flower gardening. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of vegetables do you put in? Interesting. So this year, definitely cucumbers. Peas are in. The scarlet runners are in. Tomatoes are in. Probably some melon and some watermelon. Lots are in. Lettuce are in. Rutabaga, thinking about. Do you you eat rutabaga? I love rutabaga. Really? I absolutely adore rutabaga. Why? I like to put it in a stew, but that's about it. I just like a hint of the flavor, but the rest of it, I yeah, couldn't so what, eat it Yeah, so what I do is I mix rutabaga. I'll buy a rutabaga, and then I'll chop up maybe four carrots, cook them together, and then I'll mash it all up with a little bit of butter and white pepper, and it is... That's an interesting thing you mentioned, and you said before that you are a chef, and of course, the, the recipes, the Garden Fresh recipes that go out with every newsletter that we send mm-hmm. are by no one other than yourself, aren't they? Oh, thanks. We have a book. It's going to almost get ready for the second edit. Uh-huh. And so tell us what's in the book. It's an interesting, because I've been writing these recipes every month for, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years maybe. Oh, wow. There's a kind of a theme in that because I write for a monthly paper, right? So January, you have these sort of recipes, February, of these sort of recipes, March, yada, yada, yada. So what we've done is we've created a book by month. When you open up the book, you're going to get a little introduction. And then the first month being January, we have a herb of the month that we use. So this, I don't know if it, it could be parsley, it could be oregano, it could be anything. And then there's a one excerpt from 10 Neat Things about a particular herb. And then there'll be seven or eight recipes relevant to that month. So January being what it is, it's a lot of hot pot and turkey pot pie and hearty food because it's cold out. February, oddly enough, it looks like it's lover's month because there's a lot of romantic meals in there. March. Wait a second. What, what constitutes a romantic meal? Depends on who it's for. And so I, I, one of them is there's a chocolate cake because uh-huh. everybody loves chocolate. Another one is I should have a look. A romantic meal to me you could do salmon or crepe. That could be quite romantic with a nice glass of white wine and just the two of you, intimacy. What is in March? March. Oh, another thing I did with the book, because we had an idea. So one of the things was I had a couple of pages and I thought to myself, maybe we'll talk about vegetables and fruit and and meat that you can eat in the relevant season. Okay. 
So you've got spring, summer, fall, winter, and then you have typically the veggies that you would have or the meat you would have at that particular time of year. So brings it together. Yeah, a lot of pot pies, cockle, February, salmon, or croup. I got that one right. A curry, because I like curry. March, March is Paddy's Day, right? March the 17th. So there's an Irish beef stew in a bread bun with mashed potatoes, because that's what they do. Fish and chips, because I love fish and chips. Chicken mignon, mighty meatballs, gâteau millefeuille. Did you have them? You had the millefeuille, right? When you came mm-hmm. here, David? So that's in March, just because. And then we go through the seasons. It's, I think the book itself, personally, I'm really happy with it, the way it's looking. So in the summertime, is that where you get really vegetable heavy? More fall time, actually, because I'm a root person. So I like, I, I'm a big lover of ratatouille. Not that Shirley likes ratatouille that much, but I really like ratatouille. It's probably the French in me. But I like root vegetables. She's good with carrots, but she likes sweet and carrot now. Turnip, parsnip, potatoes. Yeah, she's not a big fan of potatoes. It's a lot of rice. Although the girl in the office, Erica, introduced me to, I don't know what you call it, like a Chinese beef stew. So they use peppers and whatever. Shirley absolutely loves it but it's got carrots and potatoes in it. (laughs) It's really good. So are they hot peppers? Red peppers. But there's a lot of the Chinese stuff is uh, dehydrated. So when you buy certain things, they they tend to last. So you have your star anise in there, you have wine in there, but Chinese wine, dark soy, light soy, salt pepper, and then you have their little chili pepper flakes, I guess they are. Mm -hmm. I can't read it. It's, It's Chinese writing, so I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But they're hot red pepper flakes. I don't know. So you don't find them hot, but I would, or because oh, no, I, I am I such I don't a. Find them, I don't find them hot at all. I oh, find okay. Mexican food hotter than Chinese food, unless you're doing like a full on hot pot spicy. I better interject here. Shelly, if you hadn't guessed, is Ian's fiance. Erica works in the office. Both Shelly and Erica are from China, which has influenced Ian's cooking quite a bit. In a moment, he'll mention Gord. Gord works for Pegasus Publications, too. Do you grow hot peppers? That's an interesting question. Two years ago, I put some peppers in that I thought were sweet peppers, red ones. Turns out they weren't. And I tried one. It was a little bit spicy. So I thought, yeah, somebody else will try it. So Gord, he can't taste anything or smell anything. I said, you should try this. It's really good. Super sweet. And he went, oh. turns out they were Carolina Reapers. Oh. Yeah, his mouth was on fire for three hours, he said. He oh, he could feel it. it. He could feel it, but not taste it, which was really interesting because his eyes were streaming no sooner had he bit it. That's okay. right, because the, the capsicum isn't so much something that you taste, it's something that you feel. Yeah, and he really wasn't happy with me for a little while. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have peppers in this year for sure. Do you start the peppers from seed or do you buy them? No, I, I buy them. Mm-hmm. I don't have the space or the sunlight aside from the fact, I have a bit of a crazy cat that would eat everything that starts coming out of ground. Jambo would eat it all. I have begun to wonder if there's any sense at all in me growing things from seed, except for the satisfaction of having done it. It's easy. And you mm-hmm. only buy what you need, whereas you open mm-hmm. up a bag of seeds and you grow 400, and you think, now what do I do? Yes. And by the way, if you need any cucurbits. <laughs> by all means, next time you're around here, we can chuck one in and see what happens. I have cucumbers, patty pan squash, and pumpkins. Okay, yeah, I don't want, I don't, I tend to buy the squash. 
Oh, um, no. Do you know what patty pan squash are? They're the little round ones, right? Yeah. And there's, they're like a short round zucchini. Yeah. Oh, I like zucchini. I ended up mm-hmm. with marrows last year. I did grow zucchini last year, but I ended up with marrows. Yeah. You know what that is, right? Did you grow them too long, you mean? Or it, were they were just a different uh, type of... Yeah, no, zucchini. no. So, again, where I'm from, people don't eat zucchini. Aside from courgettes. And they don't really eat them either. They let them grow. And it turns into what you call a marrow. So a marrow is typically probably the size of my arm. And then you take the ends off, scoop the inside out, and you would stuff it with, think of cottage pie without the potato and add rice to it. And then you would put that in the marrow and then sprinkle it with a bit of peas and bung it in the oven for Mm -hmm. 20 minutes. And then you would have stuffed marrow for dinner. Super cheap. And did you eat the marrows? Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're good, soft. And did Shelly like them? Not so much. And I don't think she's a fan of that particular vegetable because no matter if you think of ratatouille, she's not a great fan of it, even though it's got eggplant and tomato in it. Do you grow your own eggplants? I did last year. And how did they work out? Not as many as I wanted. No? No. I had two plants. Aside from the attack of the rabbit, and then it got very wet for a while, they were stunted, and I think that's because of the way the weather was. Oh, yes. It was really rainy here last year, wasn't it? May, June could be anything. It could be night like it is now, and then June could come around and it could rain every day. I know. And that's really sad for annuals. Some years are just like that. But I always wonder, what about places where it's typically rainy and not always warm in the summer? They have beautiful gardens. I guess they don't get the super cold winters, though, so they're in a higher zone. Think about St. John's in Newfoundland. It rains quite a bit and stays in the low 20s throughout the summer. The all-time high was 34 Celsius in 1876. But it's zone 5, and the gardens there are glorious. A lot of our complaints about the weather have to do with expectations. Okay, now tell me about the rabbit. because. We one? had one in our yard, mm. and my sister said, you don't have one rabbit, you have many, or you it do? starts out as one. And it was very tame. My husband would go out, and it wouldn't run away. Mm-hmm. But I have not seen that rabbit since he left. Maybe he took it with him. I don't know. Or the cat next door had it. Maybe they did. Tell me about your rabbit. I have lots of rabbit stories. So in the old house, one spring morning, I was outside cleaning the flower pots getting them ready for the season. And I went douche with the trowel into one of the pots. And there were six baby rabbits in the pot. And I was like, ah. And my neighbor came around. He was laughing his head off at me. He said, now then, mum is not coming back because you've disturbed the nest. That is not true. And he decided to put them in the box and take them to a no-kill shelter. So I didn't have six rabbits anymore. But mama was still there. And she would come back and she had more and more and more. And I think at one point I counted 20 in my back garden. Not a big fan of rabbits. Eventually, I, I got one of these little, it's a, I don't know, it's like a buzz, a buzzer type thing. You stake it in the ground and you put the cap on it and it lets out a beep every so often, but it, it sends a wave through the soil. And that got rid of them. Really? Really. However, I didn't pay attention to it. The battery went dead. And then I saw a rabbit again. I got a little bit mad at it and I was running around the garden and I didn't know this was possible, but a rabbit leapt and dived straight through a chain link fence, literally through the fence. 
And I actually wrote a story about it. It was like me and I guess I would be Mr. McGregor and he was Peter Rabbit because, you know, we had a little tete-a-tete. It's the same with the squirrels. I love the little red squirrel. Love the little red squirrel. But the gray squirrel, not a huge fan. And one day I was sitting on my deck, as I did a lot in the summer, reading a book and I nodded off. Then for some bizarre reason, and your dad was alive, for some bizarre reason, there was this big gray squirrel sitting on the garage roof and I got hit by a flower and growing flower heads at me. And I was not a happy person. So I, I tolerated this gray squirrel for some time. And that was like the icing on the cake, shall we say. So I phoned your dad up and I said, do you still have that BB gun? He's yeah. I said, okay. And I told him the whole story. He said, come and get it. I said, all right. So I drove around to the house and he was laughing his head off. <laughs> he used to crack me up. And then I drove back to the house. Now With I'm, the BB gun. With the BB gun. Now I'm Elmer Fudd. Oh, I'm going to get you, Mr. Squirrel. And I am, I'm a pacifist. When it comes to killing animals, I'm just like, I can't do it. Look in their eyes. And I'm like looking up at the sky going, oh, dear Lord, please help me. Give me the courage to do this because it's not something I could do. And for the life of me, for a week, I hunted this damn gray squirrel and I couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And then one day I saw my neighbor and I was chatting to my neighbor. I'm like, have you seen the gray squirrel? He goes, oh, yeah, Stanley ate it. So his big dog, Newfoundland, ate the gray squirrel. That was I was like, wow, thank you. Thanks so much. Somebody up above was looking down on me and said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. And Stanley, the big Newfoundland dog that was living next door, had a good dinner. And that was fine. In planning my garden, I made sure that I had a little fencelet kind of thing to put around it. And it's 18 inches high until you bury it partly in the soil, which would make it about a foot high. (laughs) A foot will not stop a rabbit. Seven foot wouldn't stop a deer. However, if you have a five foot fence and alongside a five foot fence, you have a three foot fence, the deer won't jump over it because they can judge height, but they can't judge distance. Where rabbits are concerned, you're like, a foot will not stop a rabbit. I promise you. Really? Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, really. Now now you're going to be like, do I need cayenne pepper? You could do lemon juice. There's all sorts of things that they say, we are going to spread. But I tell you, there is one product. Barbex? Stops pretty much everything. But what you have to do is. Can I put it on my vegetables? Yeah, I wouldn't. No. Spray around it. Grow something that's going to partially block the vegetable from the rabbit and spray it. But if it rains, spray it again. Mm. And it's not very pleasant to smell. Oh, okay. What was this thing that you ran out of batteries on that got rid of the it was. I'll, I'll try and find it and send you a link. But it, mm-hmm. it sends a vibration through the soil and, and a loud beep. So if mm-hmm. you've got friends coming over, take it out. And I used to hear it at night. It used to annoy that out of me. But it stopped the animals. The device Ian talks about is all over Amazon and probably at Canadian Tire, Rona, Home Depot and Lowe's and Home Hardware. Have I missed anyone? Look for Rodent Control Beeper Garden. There are many to deter moles. I've got to wonder if they would deter rabbits and others that make noise to deter birds, squirrels, cats, and rabbits. You can also find dozens of spiky things to put on windowsills to deter birds and cats. I think that might work for me to put on the ground in front of the garden if the rabbit comes back. My garden is doomed. Mine is not. The thing with the garden, and I'm always running around working, but the thing with the garden is I tolerate what happens because it's always interesting. There's an Mm -hmm. end result to a garden. 
And it's always evolving. It changes every day. You can go out, look at it in different light, whatever. But what you need to do is hunt around your neighborhood and find out if anybody's got any cats, because believe me, they will eat anything. My next door neighbor across the street, my cat don't go out, right? He's mm-hmm. a big dog. But my next door neighbor's cat, her name is Scarlett. I came out of the house one day and she was eating the neck off a rabbit right in front of me. And I went to take the garbage down and there was a robin's head mm-hmm. in the drive. She is just crazy hunting good. I've caught her up a tree once where there were gray squirrels in my neighbor's yard on the elm tree and the cat mm-hmm. was halfway up. And she was looking at each squirrel, and I could see her head going, now, which one's for breakfast? Because she's just crazy, but a really good hunter. My little dog, she probably can't see the animals anymore, and I don't even know if she can smell them. I had mice in the house in Toronto once, and she would just watch it, watch a mouse go by. Just say, <laughs> I wonder what that is. But one time, out in the backyard, and this was about, I think it was about seven years ago, She so she would have been 10. She saw a squirrel and she gave it a little chase and it ran away and it came back and she thought, yay, I've made a friend and she caught it (laughs) and she just instinct kicked in and she shook her head while it killed the squirrel and she put it down and she was, what, why aren't you moving? Aren't you my friend? And eventually she realized she had killed the squirrel. And she was like depressed for a few Mm -hmm. days. So that's my big animal trying to protect my yard. I don't know what I'm going to do with this garden. I think you're right. I think it does. You can plan as much as you want, but you'll never plan for the thing that actually happens. It's just like when you have children, you'll go through all these things that you're going to need definitely, and you won't use any of them. No, the only thing I know here, make sure you water it. Get a rain barrel. Soak hoses are good, but rain, you know, recycling, right? Rain barrel. Yeah, I've got a I've got a rain barrel with the But have it high up or get a pump. Oh, how come? The pump will actually suck it out of a rain barrel as opposed to coming out like a little trickle. Or if you give it elevation, gravity kicks in and you get a little bit more. But yeah, I have a rain barrel that I use a watering can for. Just one rain barrel? I only have room for one. It's a hundred gallons, but I think I've got one on either side of the house. They're important. And I think last year at one point, it didn't rain for six or seven weeks. And water ain't cheap. What do you do? Do you have only one tap on the outside of your house? How do you get around to the other side of the house? Just with long, long, long hoses? I have one hose. And that one hose expands 100 feet when you turn it on. And that's enough for me to get all the way around one side of the house and then walk back and go all the way around the other side of the house. And then when you turn it off, you drain it because they could pop. And then just coil it back up and it, it would fit in a little trash can. I'm just going to ask you a few quick fire questions uh, and you can answer as you see fit. Weed killer in the garden, yay or as nay? In, as in strong man, weak person or spray, pesticide? Spray, type. chemicals, yeah. none of them. Have you ever had a an insect problem that you thought you might want to use chemicals against? No. Wow. Okay. That's great. Who is your favorite gardening personality? Ah, Alan Titchmarsh. He's written loads of books, gardening books. It's either him or Monty Don. You've talked about Monty Don before. Monty Don and, yeah, they're both really good gardeners and know a lot about gardening. Mm -hmm. I just like their personality because they're comedic. Monty's always with his dogs and Titchmarsh is always cracking jokes. Is he British as well? Yep. 
Both British. I like humor. What is your favorite tool in the garden? That's a really funny question because the old me would say a hoe. And what about the new you? I kind of like the leaf blower. Really? It cleans up a lot of mess. Okay. You weren't expecting that, were you? I wasn't. What can I say? I'm unique. If you had infinite money and could hire a gardener, what would you have that gardener do? That's a really interesting question because the first thing that popped into my head is infinite money implies I've got a really big house, implies I've got massive garden that I can't do. I think you might be overthinking this. No, infinite money. Like infinite money is like gazillions. Okay, uh, I just meant, I would okay. buy an island to start with, and that would be my garden. Let like, me put it this way. If somebody gifted you money to hire a gardener specifically in your current life, <laughs> what would you have that gardener do? That's really bizarre. Somebody's gifted me money to do something in my garden. How big is my garden? It's your current garden. Oh, I wouldn't get them to do anything because I like to do it because it's quite small. Yeah. You wouldn't get them to do the weeding or... No, I like the weeding. Okay. Aside from the fact that I don't have a lot of weeds because, as I said earlier, I am OCD. And Mm -hmm. once the perennials kick in, there's not a lot of weeds in the garden. The only leads are now and then they're gone, the ones that are in the lawn. So, yeah, I don't think so. I, I did have a friend put a swing up for me. But that, that was the hearty price of a bacon butty and a cup of it coffee. It's a bacon butty. Yeah, bacon inside, sliced two bread. Okay. That's what we British call them, but uh, I'm a Canadian, so I should say a BLT. Okay. What is a plant that you feel that nobody should grow, that people keep on growing? Nobody should grow, that people keep on growing. I've never been a fan, yet they're everywhere, of marigolds. Really? And you told me that you grow marigolds. Only last year. Now, do you mean French marigolds or do you mean... I just mean the little ones, not the African ones, the big African ones, right? I just mean the regular little ones that you deadhead, but they did stop. I think they... So you're talking about Tagetes or are you talking about Calendula? Tagetes or... Yeah. That's okay. I I grew them specifically to keep the rabbits away, but the weird thing was where I used to live, the deer came along and ate all the heads off them. So the rabbits came back. (laughs) I have never been a fan of them, but I'm going to grow some this year for both to keep the rabbits away and because they are edible. Is there a plant you've tried to grow, but you just can't? So I got a bird of paradise seeds that me and your mother grew in pots. And we grew them for three years, but they never bloomed and I had to move and they died. That was my fault. But they, we tried. And then there was the, I think it's... I think it's called the black bat plum. Ah, yes. I've seen Another that. Another one, like a scary looking thing. That never did anything. It grows from a bulb, doesn't it? No, this was all from seed. Everything I grew oh, was from okay. And it didn't do anything. Okay. Another plum that I should grow, and you're going to laugh, is a wisteria. Because there is a hardy one from Manitoba. I've heard that. And I think my mother has one, and it's about two feet high after years and years. Yeah, but she put it in a funny place. I was with her when she bought it. She put it in the dark. It likes a oh. lot of sun. Yeah. It's not dissimilar to clematis in that you got to shade the root. But yeah, it should grow. Okay. I've got one last question. Okay. What words of advice would you give to a new gardener? Never give up. That would be about it. Always try. Never give up. Because you're going to make mistakes. We're all human. That's a good one. Thanks.
is such a positive guy, isn't he? Great advice. Thank you, Ian. I'm going to remember that when I'm out working on my garden to be. Ladies and gentlemen, and whomever is listening, give me a shout about anything on the show. I promise I'll read every single letter or message or email. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Flora Fauna CLG Podcast. Or you can email me at Shauna, with a U, at pegasuspublications.net. Thank you to Yasmin Conception, our producer, Carl Thompson, our graphics designer, Ian Leet, our president and my guest today, and the Government of Canada for the funding to make Flora and Fauna possible. <laughs>